Hi folks, and thanks for listening to this Tortoise Shack podcast. You know what I'm about to ask you, and I know you probably want to hit that forward 30 second button, but please don't. The Tortoise Shack is struggling, along with many other media outlets, only they have ads and sponsors and we don't. Only they're part of big networks that have big corporate owners. We are not. We are completely independent and we rely entirely on you guys to support us and keep the microphones on and the conversations that you love to listen to happening. So if you're one of the thousands of people who are listening, please consider clicking the link at the top of the podcast you're listening to right now that says patreon.com forward slash tortoise and doing that little bit of activism, the easiest bit of activism you can do on a monthly basis. Throw us the price of a cup of tea and a scone and know that you're helping a left-leaning, progressive, independent podcast platform limp on and still platform the conversations that lots and lots and lots of people are listening to. And you do get a ton of additional content for that. And all of the podcasts are available entirely plea-free. So you don't have to listen to me beg and beg, as you know, I must. So one more time, patreon.com forward slash tortoise Come on board, join the community that we've built and help us keep going. Thanks for the support. Thanks for listening. I am going to stop rabbiting on. Enjoy the podcast. Hello, welcome to the Echo Chamber podcast. My name is Tony Groves and I am flying solo as my compatriot Martin McMahon is a little unwell over the last few days. And if you see him on social media and he's probably extra acerbic or acidic, it's probably because his tummy's at him. But uh, fingers crossed he gets a little bit a little bit of relief and he'll be back shouting at me on the on, on the old microphone uh, sooner rather than later, folks. Uh, anyway. Uh, this is a podcast that I've been trying to land, and unfortunately, and I want to apologise to uh, Stephen Kinsler from University of Limerick because I, I kind of had some rescheduling problems. And, and apologies, Stephen, but thank you so much for your patience, and it's great to see you again. Thanks for rejoining us on the pod. Not at all. Listen, I suppose the genesis of much of what we've done, we've had an accidental series within the series over the last few weeks, and it was not by it was by accident rather than design but we spoke to the likes of colette bennett from you know social justice ireland obviously constantine gordiev rejoined us and the recurring topic we had richard murphy as well in the uk and um kieran nugent from neary and the recurring topic of what michael d said about economics and econ- the economic model and his speech that kind of elicited a backlash from a lot of people who teach modern day economics and the reaction to it and your name kept popping up as someone who uh, I should talk to again, as someone who teaches it now through a different prism. So can I ask you, first of all, for your, I know you, you went on the record and you wrote a small response to what Michael D said, but can I ask you just to broaden that a little bit? And then let's talk about how uh, you feel the, the the errors were in what he said. Well, the, the, the president, you know, like he's Ireland's first citizen and he he makes he makes speeches all the time and that's fine. Um, and he has chosen uh, on several occasions to criticize mainstream economics. And I'll define what that is in a minute. Yeah. And so if you go back through the president's record in 2013, in 2016, in 2019, and now in 2023, he's making more or less the same speech. Um, and the, 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 the speech's contents essentially are that economics is, is taught as a single monotheistic kind of block of there is one economic truth. And the second thing that he was saying, so that he, so he, he was calling for more pluralism in economics, more saying, you know, well, this is a model that is profit-driven. This is a model that is wage-driven and so forth. Um, the other thing that the president said was that 
um, modern economics ignores ecological issues. It ignores the the planetary boundary. It, it ignores the the various um, um, aspects of uh, what it is we need to thrive mm. as a culture. So, um, th- all of which is, you know, he's he's the president. It's fine for him to say it. The problem that I and and, and several others had, and I'll explain why it's a bit weird for me to be the one making this in a moment, but. Um, is that if you made this comment in 2013, it was like, yeah, it's fair enough. You know, it's probably, it was five years after the global economic crisis. There probably was a lack of ecological economics and environmental economics being taught. Certainly the market is king kind of thinking did dominate. Um, a bit, no, again, it's never been, as bad as he caricatures uh uh, but you know in 2013 it was a bit like well okay i see the point in 2016 it was like already we had there was a thing called the institute for new economic thinking there was a new um uh, uh, open sourced plural textbook called core a bunch of other things they they were already happening in 2019 when the president invited us up to the orus and for uh, us being about 100 economists and frankly speaking, bollocked us. Hmm. Um, it was wrong. Like it was two plus two equals five wrong. And in 2023, he repeated the same points. Now, the difference between 2019, Tony, and 2023 is that in the intervening period, I had actually written to the president saying, hello, my name is Stephen. I was in the Aorus. I was really pleased to be invited. Um, uh, I was really, really shocked at the treatment that we got. Mm-hmm. Actually, no, no, you know, economics is not should not should never be uh, free from criticism. It's an incredibly important subject. You should criticize it, um, but you should criticize it on its unfair grounds. And I felt that it was unfair. It was, and for for such an erudite man, it was ignorant. Oh, and okay. So. That's it. That's that's yeah. a that's fairly well broken down. But what I would what well, we let, I suppose, we need to put you let's let's coming. go let's go back to the start on that where you there, did say one more, okay one more go go, go ahead yeah um, which is that I would define myself as uh, what we call a heterodox economist mm-hmm. in that I don't tend to uh, talk about mainstream economic issues and I mm-hmm. tend to be. Uh, uh, on the left of most uh, 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 things, and I went. Um, my um, second PhD is from a place called the New School for Social Research, which is a really progressive university. Um, so it was extremely strange that I was the one out there defending hmm. mainstream economics, and that was sort of meant, meant mentioned too. So it's but an it's important. A, it's an, and I accept that, but you said at the outset of this that you have to you have to define what mainstream economics is, and. I put it to you that much of the confusion comes around mainstream economic comment- commentary is uh, in so far as it's much more like we still, Stephen, we still live in a, in, a, in a country where people will tell you today you could speak to a political correspondent and they'll still say to you, look, you know, what happened to the Labour Party was, was terrible, but austerity saved the country. And, uh, you know, that that economic yeah. myth still still occupies the, the corridors of, of Leinster House. And I think maybe I'm being maybe I'm being naive, but I think the president also is referring to that when he speaks about it because 
you know, outside of how economics has been taught, and I'd love to get to that. I do think that there's a lot of there's a lot of um, uh, still a narrative that pervades around it, and it's this kind of and it, it fits a comfortable thing that we 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 cut ourselves out of it rather than the when the ECB changed the rules and and you know primed the pumps and and that that that's what actually happened for for not just for us but for for many other countries that were struggling through it. Do you, do you, can you can you see that point of view? Yeah, so I, I think what if the, I would separate out, and, and my criticism of the president's comments is built around the idea of what is taught, what is actually taught in economics, mm. which is the point that the substantive point he was making was that what is taught in economics is a not plural enough. In other words, it doesn't allow for different points of view, um, and b that it doesn't allow for ecological kind of um, um, sentiments and, and the idea of sustainability. So it, mainstream economics is basically the idea that all things being equal, it's an important point, the market mechanism is the best allocator of resources. So you have people parroting supply and demand and all that. So it's different from commentators and political uh, 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 journalists and so forth, but only yeah. little people who, teach, who learn economics these days. What they learn is that there are multiple perspectives. Um, there are multiple ways of understanding even the market. The market is a series of institutions and norms. Um, there's a way of teaching economics as a historical subject where it's always reacting to the crises of the day. So you mentioned the president's um, uh, discussion about austerity. Like one of the, of the things that I sort of made my academic name on was the criticism of the economics of austerity in Ireland, you know, and, and uh, you know, saying like, look, Lee, we don't actually need to do this. Mm. I still think we didn't need to do it. And I think the, the data show that. And I teach that in, in classes, right? Um, but so, so we, uh, so I'm the head of the Department of Economics, University of Limerick. And what, what that basically means is, I don't know, uh, I, I could say a lot, but basically what it means is we have about 30 economists um, that we teach uh, something like two and a half thousand students. Mm. Um, this summer, or this, this, this semester rather, before the summer, we redid all of our modules. In, in like like from the start to the finish to include much more sustainability, much more pluralism, and and in fairness, my colleagues have been adding all of that in themselves. But what we didn't yeah. look at formal descriptions of the modules and so forth. But if you look at what is actually taught to me, like actually taught, you got went into a classroom in September and you and you looked at what the students were being taught, you'd see the first thing that they get taught is something like GDP, right? Mm -hmm. This is what GDP is. And you might go, ah, mainstream economics. Gotcha. <laughs> but then, then literally, the next slide will be, here are all the things wrong with GDP. Hmm. Or you'd learn the market, supply and demand. Aha. But then you'd learn about market failure. This is where it doesn't work. Hmm. And then you'd learn about, well, look, there was this guy. His name was David Ricardo. He was like, the prices, the market's going to solve everything. There was this guy, Karl Marx. He was like, no, it won't. And we teach it through a historical lens. So UL is one of these places where it's a very policy-focused 
um, applied kind of place. We, we we churn out a lot of economists that end up in the Irish I, Government Economic Evaluation Service, for example. I, I, the, yeah. the Irish Government Economic Evaluation Service does great work only to be ignored by the government all the time. <laughs> well, it's like, not like, from okay, job no, to I, decide, right? It's just yeah, their I, I, I know, but let's let's take the... Like, I think we go back five years ago to when they produced their own report that said for every HAP tenancy in Dublin at that time, and HAP's only gone up in price, the state could afford to build a social home on their on 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 state-owned land, and the government looked at that and went actually will increase half to a billion. <laughs> you know, it was it's so so. Despite the fact, so so this is in defence of this the economists who who we were talking about here. They gave the right advice. They often do. Simply, p- politics said actually. Um, that sounds like the state getting back into the building business ourselves directly. We'd rather maintain the the model that we've used, which is effectively outsourcing. Now they'll say to you, you know, I interviewed the the minister for housing a few weeks ago. I looked him in the eye and I said, yeah, the land development agency hasn't built one house, and it hasn't. But he said they have because someone else put the bricks and mortar in the ground. But we're paying, you know, so. Maybe that's ideological, but it certainly comes back then, and it it comes back then to a push back against sort of say people saying, "Well, how come how come the economists aren't getting their say?" You know, like the fiscal advisory council saying, "Whoa, the horses!" Every time they decide to do something, and uh, and, and you know, maybe getting a third of what they want. You know, well, I, I, the way Michael Noonan put it when he was minister for finance about the fiscal advisory council was, "Look, don't buy a dog if you don't want it to bark." Yeah. Right, and I think that the fiscal advisor council does an incredibly important job because the day after their report, the minister for finance is hauled into the one in Ireland, as he was this week, mm. and he's asked, "Okay, what are you going to do?" And he sort of has to come up with a reasonably coherent answer, and he did. And in fairness to Michael McGrath, he's he's pretty good at that kind of stuff. But the 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 argument about the fiscal advisory council is that they are bringing way more data mm-hmm. to the discussion. They're also bringing a really long-term focus. So like, I feel like I've been writing every month at least one column for the last 15 years going, guys, we need to think about the long term. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I've, I've been writing a weekly column now for nearly 15 years. Yeah. And it feels like, uh, what's the Ron Burgundy thing? It feels like I'm taking crazy pills sometimes. <laughs> but, but, um, you know, we are talking, we are now talking seriously about sovereign wealth funds. We are now talking seriously about long-term thinking. And that's not a bad, it's not a bad thing. And it, a lot of it honestly comes from the fact that, you know, when I did economics in the early 2000s, by the way, when I did economics in Trinity in the early 2000s, there was absolutely, um, there was no sense that there were alternative approaches to economics. But when I went to Enyroy Galway in 2002, I guess, uh, or three, um, they taught this all the time. There was an amazing dude called Terry McDonough there. He's died since. He was an amazing man. And, you know, he said, look, there is a different way of approaching this. And that was great. Um, And, uh, you know, and then you go to the New School for Social Research where they make you take two courses called Historical Foundations of Political Economy, where they make you read books, not talk about Marx read him not uh, talk about ricardo read him and um this, it's a pretty good way of thinking can, can i can i can i ask you a bit pops in, pops into my head all the time um is there is there uh is there an academic beef between social policy people and e- e- economics i don't think so no i think i think one of the things that's true about economics today 
2023 and 24 is that it's way more data-based. So people won't, like you, if you come with a theoretical paper to a, to a, to a conference, the other ironic thing about the president's speech, by the way, was that it coincided exactly with the Irish Economic Association annual meeting. Hmm. So you had all these people going, the president says we're doing this, and yet people going like, like I'm just estimating the, the gender the gender well-being gap. You yeah, do stuff yeah. on the economics of happiness. You know, I'm looking at like it's not it, the pro. I think this is why it elicited such a reaction because it's so different. Modern economics of 2023. It's but so modern economic. You're saying modern, but you're saying modern economic teaching is so different. Oh no, but modern and, economic and, and, research as well. Yes, but uh, oh, okay, accepting that. But we also have to then continually come back to the fact that when we, when in, when you, when it enters into the political realm, for example, and I know you're passionate about the ecological challenges that we face. I know it's something that you've been talking about. You know, be- let's just say before it was cool, right? <laughs> and um, well. I, no, but like it's so you'd be naive not to be. But when you still look at it, and then for example, we saw it only this week in the realm of politics, DPP walked out on the nature restriction laws in, in the European Parliament. And, you know, you're thinking, like, how do we marry that? Because even if we say we're doing it right now for short-term economic gain, it's much more, as you said, thinking long-term economic pain as well as, you know, climately, climate ruinous potentially. It's just, you know, so there is that there is that pushback. And I'm not, def- I'm not here to defend the president. He doesn't need me to defend him. But I, I do think there's also that that gap between you know you're saying we're teaching people to factor in the you know the esg elements the environmental the social the governance and all of those and these are all important things and i think that's i think it's i think it's really good that like we're having this conversation me and you but i also then say when the rubber hits the road <laughs> a group of politicians walk out of a thing that's yeah. supposed to help us all it kind of it kind of gives people think to turn around the thing say well well the market still dominates well, the, so I, I think it's not the market necessarily. It's it's the they're responding pretty much mechanistically to the needs of their of who they see as their electorate. Yeah. Um. So I I guarantee you I guarantee you that the the if there were no people writing to politicians saying please object on my behalf to this housing development or please tur- turn around and say um something about about this, which I think is going to harm my livelihood, uh, they wouldn't, because that's not how they roll. They are reactive um, beings because they they know if they annoy enough people, they're not going to be elected again. And I can tell you, if you were elected to office or if I were elected to office, we would face exactly the same incentives and we would do exactly the same thing. So the 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 question we're we're, we're now uh, talking be- we're now talking behavioral economics rather well, than exactly so so uh, I, I, I exactly uh, we teach that too but but uh, uh, the the thing that needs to change is the citizens um, who are making the uh, noises to make the politicians move they need to be uh, brought along and so we in in UL we have three things one is called the citizen innovation lab it's about um, bring, it's in Limerick City and it's about bringing the, um, it's in partnership with the Limerick City and County Council and it's about bringing citizens along in the, the journey, like not talking at them, but getting them to design their own solutions, right? And then the other, uh, the other thing we have, another project we have going is called Smart Lab, where we're bringing, we're giving smart sensors 
to 100 houses and businesses in Limerick. And we're saying, right, this is how much energy you're using. This is the temperature. You don't need to turn the heating on here. Mm. This is the map of your house. We, we're going to get you to change your behavior in real time, right? Now, you might go, ah, look, that's not that big a deal. But it, but it actually is because you can. You, if, if that was mirrored across the whole country, you'd yeah, say if you, if you could create, if you could create, um, uh, even a, even a data set that shows in, in, you know, in, in these, in these areas, this is what you need. And yeah, no, the, going back to economies yeah. of scale almost, but when I, when I think about something like that and we say, as again, coming back to it, the, the it's, it's all well and your research sounds fantastic. Where's the, we need, we need the implementation. And, um, so, so this is the, the good thing about all this is you can't work with people, real people. Right, citizens, and it's it, it gets the implementation exactly right on day one, right? And then all you need to do is go look. This works in Limerick. Limerick is is a great place, but frankly speaking, it's nothing special. And you could do it in Cork, you could do it in Dublin, you could do it in Galway. Um, and and the thing about that is, you're making a change at the community level. So the communities are saying we want this to happen. So they're not writing to the politicians saying, "Oh my God, this is terrible." You know, they're, they're taking away. So they're saying, "Look, we we want this to happen." So yeah, but Steve, Stephen, you're talking about now incentives instead of you know because we have to, we always say carrot and stick, okay, and and unfortunately, um, a lot of the time, you know, we we have these discussions all the time with 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 people who, you know, like with the best will in the world, not everybody has in currently in the current model the thirty five grand it'll take to retrofit a home, but if there's something like but if something like a, a smart smart um thinking actually say, well, this will reduce my output, then, you know, it actually might encourage them to do something else, take it a step further on. Yeah. And it's, it's, I was talking to somebody yesterday and they were saying, oh, you know, the dereliction grant of 70,000, mm. you know, that's the thing that's changing the behavior. Mm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so when we think about this, we have to be very clear that people, especially in Ireland, our Irish people are by and large smart pragmatic, pragmatic, on average, you can say to somebody, look, it's worth your while doing this, throw it a few quid, go to the bank, go to the credit union, do this, the, the state's going to cover 85% of it, and you should give it a go. And for most people, especially as we get wealthier um, in the next, say, 10 or 15 years, and we will, um, that kind of change is going to be very welcome and very useful. Now, there's you know, if you break the the distribution of Ireland into fifths, you know the first and second quintile of the income or wealth mm. distribution can afford all this crap anyway, right? Yeah, yeah. Third and fourth could probably, with some help, the fifth will never. So you have yeah, to have so, 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 yeah. So you turn around to the third and fourth, and if you'd have a brain, you turn around to the third and fourth and say, "We'll get you an interest-free loan." You know, yeah. we'll get you, yeah, you, like we'll get you an interest-free loan, and you take say to the bottom quintile, we'll let we'll we'll cover you for free. We're gonna, yeah. you know, we're gonna give, but but at the same time, when you look at these things, as you say, you give if you give the brakes to the guy at the top, he buys a Tesla and sits and parks it beside his Volvo SUV. You know, so and and I say that as someone who lives beside people, as I see down the road, that that the most expensive um, driveway ornament in uh, in Glasnevin is a Tesla. Really? <laughs> because the, oh yeah, there's some Teslas. If, we, if, if I'm jogging along Griffith Avenue, I'm seeing Teslas, but they're driving the they're driving the Jeeps. You know, they're they're. Oh, that's interesting. Mm. Yeah, I, we don't have many Teslas down here, but but um, what what is I maybe mean, just not where I live, but 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 what is interesting is, um, 
that is I, I think the Tesla thing is gonna like I, that's yeah, yeah that bubble that bubble's gonna burst yeah yeah but, but I think I think the reason that the subsidy is being withdrawn is mm-hmm. the fact that the car industry is moving there anyway so the next yeah. car you buy it's just gonna be an electric car mm-hmm. you know and the price of them is going to come down it's going to be grand and, and there's the market mechanism in action actually that's a that's a really good thing because you can divert that money into other things. Have you had Eric Lonergan on your podcast? Yes, yes, yes. I, I, I was speaking to Eric last week. Um, oh, not on, not, not on, not on air. We're, we're, we're talking about a new, um, a new pod next week. Hopefully, on the idea of the sovereign wealth fund and 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 because like I, I um, Eric for listeners' benefits has written a couple of really good books. His most recent one, Supercharge Me, was about some yeah. of the incentives we need we're to probably, do yeah. to to move things along. Yeah, we're carrying them. Yeah, you uh, have my brother on actually. You should have Peter Peter Kinsler. Well, let's let's do that. He's he's an expert on sovereign wealth funds, is my point. Oh, brilliant! Uh, because because uh, I I'm I'm concerned by the I think the idea of it in principle is great. I I again worry about the delivery of what 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 might happen um, in terms yeah. of. We'd actually let's let's go there then. Ireland's windfall, right? You've just said we're going to get wealthier. Now we have a big problem, obviously, with wealth inequality, market inequality, income inequality in Ireland. We talk about the social transfers doing the heavy lifting, and that is one of the criticisms of um, how we present things economically. Because we turn around and say, "Well, the social transfers push us back into the middle." And as you referred to earlier, they don't measure, you know, say happiness or they don't measure, um, you know, the idea that, you know, what's the stress of actually knowing that you need that children's allowance to to pay that bill that's coming in? Because there is a large, a, a large minority, we're talking over 34% of the population who their household require some form of social transfer to be lifted out of the uh, AORA, AP, the at risk of poverty um, uh, decile. So that's a big challenge. And I spoke to Aidan Regan, going back to the, the the point on social policy versus economics, and he said we need a pre-distribution model, not a redistribution model. And I think he I think he's onto something in terms of better better paying conditions for what we would consider some of you know people who aren't um in the tech jobs or the or the multinational industries, whereby, you know, that because that then maybe prevents the heavy lifting. Uh, so I've, I've said a lot there, Stephen, but I yeah. just think let's so so I let's talk about the fact that unfortunately this temporary windfall uh, thing attacks. There's a lot of talk of what we're going to do. We've mentioned already sovereign wealth fund. What would you think the best thing to do with this potential big bounty of um, what? What are we talking about? Up to up to sixty four billion over a number of years. It's the, it, uh, yeah. I, I think so. The first thing, the first point to make is that um. The Department of Finance, I've been I've been studying what they do and how they do it for a long time. Hmm. And the first thing to, to note about the Department of Finance is they are maximally prudential. Yeah. So when they make a forecast like 65 billion, mentally, you should update that to 80 or 90. They, 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 they always, they, all of their estimates over the last decade have always been undershot. Which, which, which is great, right? It's a great, it, it, if you're the Department of Finance, it, what it always means is you're always leaving your minister with room for maneuver, mm. right? You say you bring in five billion, but actually you bring in seven, so the minister has two. You know, mm. um, so I, I would imagine that that, and I I don't imagine this because I've spoken to a number of corporate treasurers wearing another hat. Um, so I think we're going to have more. 
and I said this, I gave evidence to the budget Oroctus, the Oroctus budget committee um, two weeks ago now, mm-hmm. up the all about this. I said, so you, uh, they were planning on, you know, putting four billion a year in over the surplus. Yeah. Maybe like 20 billion or something at the end. I was like, no, 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 you're going to have to put the maximum in because you'll have the maximum there. And the, the, there's actually three, there are already two kind of pots of money out there. Mm-hmm. Um, one, one is uh, called ISIF, the Irish Strategic Investment Fund, and it's a yeah. it's just invest in Irish business kind of thing. There's fifteen and a half billion sitting in there. Um, there's another uh, one um, called the National Reserve Fund, and it's got six billion in it, and it goes up to eight. And there's a third one, which is this mooted sovereign wealth fund. Um, it's a funny, it's a funny thing. I, I, we used we say it's not sovereign wealth fund, but I think to, I think of it genuinely as a savings account um, mm-hmm. and investment. So you're you're gonna you're going to stick the money in that's coming from one place, just the the, the surplus of taxes, and mm-hmm. you're going to use it for one thing, aging, right? So if you just think about this, you the sources of funds is just one place. What if we get one off? What if we get revenue from offshore wind, or we I don't know do a privatization, or we do something? If their money if money comes from somewhere else, we do an auction for seven G and eight G, uh, wireless bands, so forth. You can get money from one-off money from loads of different places, um, and then the use is just for aging. I can think of two other things that you could use that money for. The first is uh, climate change. Yeah, right. So you talk about uh, pre-distribution. So, so that, well, the problem with the pre-distribution as an idea is that it assumes that there's somebody else generating the surplus somewhere else, and that's not how business works. Business works. You go to work for me. I, you work for me, I pay you the wage at the end of the week, right? Nobody gets paid their wage at the start of the week. You know, um, I can tell you, I spent a long time working in bars and restaurants and nightclubs and was even an undertaker once. And yeah, you, you, you know, they don't pay you the wages at the start of the week, Tom. Even the university, well, yeah, they pay like I get it, Stephen, but at the same time, I know what you're saying about businesses generating this, but we're talking about here, you know, because I look, for example, one of the most disappointing things that I've said this before in the podcast when uh, Nessa Hurrigan took her stand and lost the, the whip for 15 months um, it was that she was working on well-being indexes to try and talk about. Yeah, you know, and that's something. So she lost her chair at the, as a committee head on that. And that, you know, and, and that's, a, that's, a, that's a blow. It was quite hard on her in the interview. <laughs> Did you think so? We're a little tough, I thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I don't know. She, she, certainly able, like, but yeah, absolutely. And 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 I will say, in to I can't speak for Nessa, but I will say that we're still on speaking terms. In my opinion, she's always she's always welcome back on uh, to, to the pod, and she and I'm sure no doubt she will be. But I will say, can we let? Can I? You said climate action, okay, and and how we can how that would actually help reduce people's outgoings because they wouldn't have to oh, yeah. pay for yeah they could reduce bills it could make mm-hmm. public transport more efficient it could you know it could make actually quality of life better rather than just mm-hmm. having to, to do it so but here's something i'll say to you now and I, i'm interested to get your thoughts on it i also think we should immediately not 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 now not in, not in a year or two but immediately um increase ireland's uh, overseas aid from 0.4 of a percent to one percent which is where we're supposed to go to um, by 2030, we should do it now because much of the money we're taking, Stephen, as you know, is 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 at the currently because of intellectual property rights, profit shifting, that our our system that we use. 
So an easy win right now would be to, to go from 0.4 to 1% and we wouldn't have to wait six years to do it. We could just do it and, and you know, at least we'd feel that we're helping those other countries that maybe, are, um, you know, they definitely need it more than we do if, if we could do it with that. Oh, look, that's a great idea. And I think one of the things that, that we, I really do, I think that's a brilliant idea. I think one of the things that we, we tend to forget is, and I think it's, it comes down to our national self-image, is that we are one of the wealthiest places in the world now, right? I mean, and and I know there are you know there are there are people who will say, ah, oh, no, like it's all, it's all intellectual property, it's all fake. It's a lot of it is not. They're like, I I use GDP as sort of an idiot stick. If mm. if you if you talk about this thing, you, you we know you don't know what you're talking about. Um, in our in the Irish context, but there's no doubt that the Ireland that we live in today is vastly wealthier in real terms. Than it was thirty years ago, and and our kids will 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 be wealthier than us again. But to, to, to make a point about, God, I hope so. Like God, I, that, that's a that's a I because th- you know will. You, I, I, you really believe that, yeah, do you? Yeah, they will. Now you can argue that there will be that. You see, this is the thing about Ireland, right? And this is the thing I've been writing about for so long. I'm. I feel like like yeah, yeah. Um, I sorry. I, I should apologize to listeners as well. I've got a bit of a chest infection. That's what I'm like. I'm. Um, I don't know. Auditioning for Batman or something. <laughs> uh, the 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 um, the the thing that um, the thing that is absolutely true is that um, society is in general over the last say two hundred and fifty years have progressed, and I don't mean grown in the GDP got bigger thing. Progression, like progress, is a is a genuine thing. It's a real thing, and it has happened. The issue is that we have not up to now been able to decouple that from carbon emissions. Mm-hmm. We are seeing massive, massive, massive changes. Um, I was up in um, Tullamore last week, uh, giving a speech at the Board Namona Accelerate Green event. I, mm-hmm. I tell you, the, you know, if you start reading the stuff, you get, you get really depressed because it's like doom, doom, doom. And then you meet people trying to do something about it and you're like, oh, okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, also, I also happen to spend a lot of time with uh, people doing climate action stuff on the ground, and you're like, okay, I think we're going to be okay here. You know, I really do. Um, but to go back to your point about uh, international aid and spending the money, um, one of the things, in addition to aging and climate change, we're going to have to deal with is migration uh, mm-hmm. and uh, reunification. Right. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have to be very careful about these uh, these two things because migration is inevitable and it's mm-hmm. it, it's it's one of these things that i think that um uh there's a guy in ucd his name is brian fanning he's pretty much the expert in migration um and uh, he's just written a brilliant book about this about how cultures interact with one another um you should definitely have him on he's brilliant but yeah. the, the the thing that um professor fanning talks about is the idea of push and pull factors so there'd be a push from uh, uh, probably, probably from kind of North Africa up, and, but there's mm-hmm. going to be a pull. We're running out of younger workers, mm-hmm. out of fast pace. Um, I wrote a book in 2008, I think, called Ireland in 2050, um, and I was like, "You guys are all going to get super old by 2030." And people were like, "Shut up! There's a crisis on. Nobody cares." Mm-hmm. And uh, only like last week and before, I was on the last word, and Matt was like, "Oh my God, Stephen, what a shock!" You know, and 50 years later, <laughs> look. This is going to happen. We're going to need younger workers. So the the point I made to a number of a very influential policy people was: look, um, we got the IDA together 
in the 1940s because we knew we were going to have, because capital was scarce, we need to import capital. And it has succeeded brilliantly under its own lines. It succeeded so brilliantly that now we have a problem of what to do with all this extra money. I think we're going to need the ver- a version of the IDA for labor. Highly. You're talking, you're, you're talking, bits, you're talking almost like a human capital uh, development agency. Yeah, well, the LDA is already taken. No, no, I said, I said, I said human. I said human capital. And, and the LDA. Yeah. Um, I, I do genuinely think that if you look to the future, like in the next 20 years, you look to a world where, and again, I, I, I am. I'm working on this program called the Immersive Software Engineering Program. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen you, I've seen you post about it. What is incredible about this? If you met these students, like they are exceptional people. Mm. Right? They're, you know, UL, UL economic students. Like you, you can't be around these people and not feel better about the future. But if you met these people, these software engineers, you'd be like, it's going to be grand. They got this. Their, their idea, and their conception of where to work and where to be. It's totally different. They can work anywhere in the world, anywhere in the world. So if you got that skill and you can work anywhere in the world, why would you come to Ireland? Mm. Right? Now imagine that there was a powerful body in the middle of the, the government apparatus going, guys, the biggest problem at the moment is there aren't enough parks. Mm. Your biggest problem at the moment is duh, there aren't enough houses. And you can, you, you know, when you have IBEC, it's always an, it's always an interesting thing to, to listen to. When IBEC and the unions are saying the same thing, it's a really useful piece of um, policy triangulation. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Because they're actually able to, you're, they're articulating something that's deeply structural. So they're both saying like, oh my God, the universities are super underfunded, which is like, yeah, super true. And you know, okay, I, I, you know, I work in a university, so obviously I'm biased here, mm-hmm. but um, it's true. It's just true. There's no, you know, I know you guys. You guys like to to caricature. What would did you call us the graph graph boys, graph bros, graph bros? We do. We do. We do. There's there's several. There's several. Now I will say several of the graph bros wouldn't be university economists. They would. They would simply be self made, uh, self made uh, Excel spreadsheet hogs, basically. But uh, you know, there the, there was a there was a rise of it. But when when you talk about what what you're talking about now in terms of needing to make Ireland an attractive place to go, creating a pull factor as opposed to, you know, because there are push factors that are inevitably coming our way, unfortunately. Um, we need to prepare for both. But you, you keep, you've mentioned now three times aging. So what you're saying effectively is, is that, you know, when people say the Angela Merkel took a million refugees in at one stage, she made the point all the time that it, it helped refresh the German labour market, that they, they had a real requirement for that, and you know, it it wasn't just out of the generosity of her of her heart and spirit, even though maybe maybe it was some of that, but it absolutely gave them a workforce that they hadn't had in 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 the you know the decade earlier. Yeah, but it also led to the rise of the IF Day. It led to the uh, yeah. the far right party. It also led to a serious integration challenge, which they're coping with. Um, I think that the you know Ireland is now. Uh, I think I think the census said there's twenty percent of the population were born somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that we're we're already way more multicultural than we think we are. It goes back to the one's self image. Is mm. it's always it, it's always a lag. It's always behind us, you know. Um, uh, and it, it's 
it's interesting. I was talking to somebody who was in marketing, and they're saying, "You look, your self image is 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 a is of a younger, slimmer person who who yeah. who does all these things." And when you get old, your self image is of a less old person. So there's some kind of equilibrating mechanism. And so you see people, you know, active aging stuff is all they're all people basically in their late fifties, like going from mm. and stuff. But the market is is in, is for people in their eighties. It's the same thing, you know. It's it's also people in their twenties and stuff. Um, so there is something about our na- our national idea about this, which is we tend to think about ourselves as the plucky underdog as opposed to the wealthy. Uh, 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 we we tend to think about ourselves as as maybe not. I, I, but we, okay, accepting that we have that politically, then we have problems, obviously, because, you know, there's, you've, you've touched upon it. There's a very small, um, uh, but, but vocal minority that are concerned about immigration. We need to, you know, we, we need to address social ills to stop that. We need to work on, you know, improving, um, social mobility, giving people other opportunities and not pitting people against one another for scarce resources in communities that already have had difficult, like difficult decades of neglect. Tell me, I want to ask the, the, the big question, what would be the dumbest thing we could do with our, with our windfall, Stephen? Um, reduce taxes. The I'm surprised that there's not a more vocal group of people calling for tax cuts. I'm really surprised. There's actually very few people. Yeah, um, most people who know anything about economics have said something on the order of, "Sure, cut the taxes by a percent if you need to, fine, but don't don't weaken the tax base." We did that in 2005, 2006, and it was a ruin of us. Don't do it again. The reality of, I mean, it, politics is important here, right? We don't live in an eco, in an economy. We live in a, a political economy. These guys, you know, if you're sitting in the Minister for Finance chair, yes, you have to steward the public finances, but you have to get reelected. And and I think we we tend to bring it, bring the politics in when it suits us, and take it out when it when it when it doesn't. You can't divorce politics from everything else. The politics of the situation are that. Um, we have a ruling coalition that wants to get reelected, and mm-hmm. um, and but they don't want to leave office with the, with the state's coffers in bits either, and um, and because they they know that'll follow them around for the rest of their days, as it does, by the way, on a on a daily basis for the people who left office in in, in 2011. It, it literally mm-hmm. does. He destroyed the country, etc. I mean, you mentioned Labour, but but it, it's true for the Fianna Fáil politicians at that day as well. So yeah. They don't. They're, they're aware of all this, and they're, they're like they're they're Irish politicians get caricatured as being these sort of gombeans who who love carveries and eat spuds for breakfast and all this kind of crack. <laughs> they're not. They're 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 by and large they're thoughtful people trying to do do the right thing, but mostly they're trying to safeguard their jobs, and that's true of everybody mm-hmm. to this uh, podcast too. So we got to just, you know, I do think there's a dehuman dehumanization of politics going on. We tend to treat them like. Um, we tend to treat them like uh, either machines or kind of the the basest of animals. They're neither. Um, but that, but if you had their incentives, you would behave as they do. This is my point. Mm. Um, well, I I I I think I, I when we think about the politics of it, and you talk about the tax cuts, I don't think they will implement tax cuts. I, I don't think I think the the they flow a kite was flown. That there's very little demand for it. What I do challenge back, which I find quite funny is that we keep hearing about this as a way to look after the squeeze middle, but how it's actually defined. And, you know, 
uh, we're sitting here. We see we see that Donald has been indicted for the third time. Um, and the funny thing about it was that when they said it, when they said it was been done, like oh, when the Donald introduced tax cuts, they called them tax cuts for the rich. And the tax cuts that are actually being uh, muted here would benefit the top percent, nearly on a ratio of four to one compared to oh, if you're absolutely. on thirty. So, absolutely. so it, it's a misnomer to call them a uh, 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 break for the ta- for the squeeze middle. Yeah, no. I mean, this is the thing about any any progressive tax, right? Mm. Means that the people at the top pay more. If you take away the tax, the people at the top benefit more. That's mm. what that means. Um, I, I just I fundamentally disagree with the idea of taking away labor taxes unless you're going to replace them with capital taxes and wealth taxes, which is, by the way, what the Commission on Taxation and Welfare said we need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but bringing in, again, think about the politics of bringing in a wealth tax, think about the politics of bringing in a labor tax. We actually have no political party. There's not mm-hmm. a single political party that's talking about doing something serious about either um, uh, carbon taxes or wealth taxes or, you know, so the idea is that the system will will continue on as is. Mm. That, no, is uh, that is a problem because it means that labor taxes will stay high. Well, look, uh, let's let's wrap on this. Um, I've, I hope listeners got a lot out of this and how modern economics is taught on, on the basis of that it's not simply market forces, but I do think we, and of course it's not, but it's, I do think it's nice to have this uh, broken down, but let's let's say that there is actually hope. You were much more optimistic than I thought you'd be today, and I think that's really positive. So, so I'm delighted. To, I'm delighted to see that. Um, Stephen, thanks for your time. Thanks for continuing to talk to us. I know. I know. You said we we give the old econ bros a bit of a kick, in, but we continue to. We need you. We still. We still look at what what you do. Uh, fascinate and do. Um, do if if you can, folks. The currency is where Stephen writes his his columns, and it's always worth a read. So, so thanks for coming on. Thanks for taking the time. Uh, and we will be back um, with Eric Lonergan probably in the next few days as well, who Stephen has recommended. So that's a, that'll be a good one on the back of that. Um, uh, Stephen, thanks again, and we will talk to you oh, all oh, soon. Thanks, folks. thank you, Tony. Look, I mean, I I, I listen to um, I listen to your podcast regularly in the car, yeah. and um, it's uh, I I find um, I find I disagree kind of vocally with yeah. with a lot of it, and I find that I agree vocally. With a lot of it, and I, um, I, I think that you know you and Martin, you've curated an amazing selection of guests. I particularly love when I'm listening to somebody and I've never heard their name before. Yeah, and I'm listening to this point of view, and I'm like, Jesus, this is amazing, you know. Um, so I just, I really want to just say thank you mm-hmm. because you're adding something really important to the to the um, to to the national dialogue, you know, which is why I'm just very very happy to to. Uh, continue to listen to support to be to be um to be a uh, 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 I don't know what the word, word phrase is what the noun is um, but but somebody who supports the pod but I think everybody should thank um, you so much especially if you disagree if you're listening to this going that fucking guy cancel he's you know or or or, or you know or whatever yeah. just if you just the more you disagree the more you should think about subscribing and the reason is we live in a world where with three or four clicks the algorithm decides on the monoculture that you will be consuming. Mm. And one of the really great things about the echo chamber and, uh, uh, and, uh, and the whole suite of podcasts that you have is that it is a, it is an, uh, an acknowledged and avowed attempt to broaden that out and get beyond the algorithm. And that is a really, really positive benefit. You're, you're, you're 
thriving for society. And I, you know, just keep keep at it. It's not a it's not an easy thing. I know it wasn't easy getting this this podcast organized and and yeah. uh, and all that. So like, keep at it um, because uh, you know regular listeners like me derive a huge amount of value from it. Thank you so much, Stephen. Thanks so much again. Listen, folks, we'll be back very, very soon. Take care. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. Tony and Martin.